All right, plan for today. Acts 24 through 26, because they all share one long encounter. Uh, If you haven't been with us, we've been going through Acts. We have four more messages after this week. And I want to pick up at the end of Acts uh, 23, because Paul's now uh, slowing, Luke, the writer, is slowing down the pace. And that he's been saying about all the places that Paul has gone. Now he spends a lot of time about him on trial in Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem to preach good news, strengthen the church. He's arrested by Jewish leaders who want to kill him, literally. And uh, in there, the Romans end up saving him. That was from like three weeks ago when we were in Acts. And at the end of Acts 23, verse, let's say, 26, uh, let's read where we, where we left off last time. It says, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, that's Paul, for I learned that he's a Roman citizen, and I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin, their group of 70 elders, and I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. And when I was informed of the plot to be carried out against the man, Paul, I sent him to you at once, and I also ordered the accusers to present to you their case against him. So there are three uh, people that Paul's going to speak to this week in chapters 24, 25, and 26. And what I want us to, to do is glance at the first two, focus on the third one, and then ask like the real question, what does any of this have to do with following Jesus in the city of Portland? And I am telling you, it has everything to do with our story. It's going to take a while to get there, but um, let's look at these three. In turn, number one, Governor Felix. Look at the beginning of chapter 24. Before Governor Felix, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down from Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. And when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the case before Felix. We're not going to read the rest because what he shares here, he's going to share again in two more chapters. But just jump down to verse 22. So they, Paul's questioned, he answers. Verse 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. This is before there were any church buildings. This is before there was anything institutionalized. The followers of Jesus were just known as the way. The people who followed the way of Jesus, they were still considered Jews, but just a twist on their teaching. So Felix, who's well acquainted with with the way, adjourned the proceedings. And when Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, uh, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As he talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix uh, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. So Paul never intended to spend time in prison, but what we're finding is that in the middle of it, God's opening up a door, and that very much can parallel our universe. Sometimes we're in a school we don't want to go to, a relationship that's difficult, 
a job that we feel is under what we had studied for or dreamed of. No matter where you are, a good reminder, God can open a door. So maybe it's not just about that class. Maybe it's about a student in that class or a professor or the administration. Maybe it's not about that job. Maybe that's not your end all. Maybe it's actually about your boss or about the people working under you. Paul's evidently aware and he's sharing the good news. But Felix was afraid and says, it's enough. You leave. When it's convenient, I'll send for you. Verse 26. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked about him. Sometimes you're trying to share what you know about this Jesus, and people have different motives. Felix keeps bringing him back. I'm sure Paul's thinking, wow, maybe he's, maybe he's considering it. Actually, he's just looking for a payoff. And so he's got this frustrated season with Governor Felix. Now look at this, verse 27. When two years passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. He left Paul in prison. So a couple of things, and we'll move on. Uh, Felix listens to Paul's story. I think it's important for us to remember. God puts you in front of people for a reason, and you never know what's going to happen. People respond in all sorts of ways. Here, it looks like Felix is just looking for a payoff. And then after that, it looks like his wife may be interested, but we don't see any results. What does Paul do, though? Look at verse 25. Paul talked about, and then we get these three words, righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And, and Felix responds by being afraid, and, that says, and, that's, and it says, that's enough for now. What Paul is doing, this kind of like code word, is talking about the scope of what it means to follow Jesus. You see, following Jesus isn't just about righteousness. Uh, what is righteousness? It's to be in the right. It's not just about having your sin forgiven. It's not just about becoming uh, from an enemy of God to a child of God. It's about self-control. See, salvation is about the past. God takes care of the past, sure. But he also wants to take care of your today. And so Paul talks about the teachings of Jesus, how Jesus affects everyday life. But it's not just about today and about living a different life in the present. He talks about the future. Notice, the judgment to come. Jesus is the great judge, and he's going to come, and he promised to return, and he's going to make all things new and wouldn't you, Felix, want to stand with God? You see, God's interested in the past. He's interested in today. And he's interested in the future. When we're sharing the good news, it's not about one of them. It's not just about how to live a more moral, fulfilling life. It's not just about heaven and the future. And it's not just about getting rid of what you've done. Salvation, in the biblical story, is about all of those things. And so that's just a little bit of a tip. Another little bit of a tip, not in Acts, during this imprisonment in Caesarea, Paul writes Philippians. And if you read, Philippians is a letter. We started our church through a series in Philippians about joy. Joy in the middle of suffering. Joy in the middle of pain. Joy in the middle of trial. And it's in the middle of this tough encounter with Felix that Paul's inspired by the Spirit to write and encourage another church. My point, what your immediate role and think, what you think you're supposed to be involved in may not be all that God is doing. Maybe doing something on the side. For Paul, writing a letter to Philippi was no big deal. He had no idea, I'm sure, that God would use it. And 2,000 years later, we're blessed. 
millions upon millions have been transformed by a letter that he wrote while in the middle of prison. My point is God uses all things. Not just the good, he uses evil and he uses disappointments even for purposes that are bigger. All right, we'll move on. Uh, second uh, trial was before Governor Festus, chapter 25. You still with me? Killer, okay. Chips and guac, coming, we promise. We're not providing it, but you'll have it at your house. All right, Acts 25, 1. We're actually not. When you walk out, there's nothing. 25, 1. You're, you're going to have your party. Don't be gluttonous. All right, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. He actually, if you look at it on the map, he goes up um, to the north on the coast. And Caesarea is a place where the Romans were ruling the entire region. Caesarea is a beautiful city, a port city, and a, a city that's easy for them to travel back and forth to Rome. So out of Jerusalem, they're in Caesarea, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders uh, appeared before him and presented their charges against Paul. And they requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. And Festus answered, Paul's being held at Caesarea. I myself am going there soon because he's a leader and they rule from Caesarea even over the area in Jerusalem. Let some of your leaders come with me and if the man has done anything wrong, let him press the charges against him there. In other words, Jewish, uh, Jewish leaders centered in Jerusalem, Roman leaders centered in Caesarea. He's the new governor. He's fast as saying, look, if you want to deal with him, deal with him up in Caesarea. I'm not going to do what you want. So it's a little bit of a tug of war. Verse 5. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews uh, who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove, uh, they could not prove them. So we already know from the three encounters that we're going to see, there's no reason for Paul to be put in prison. He's been falsely accused, but he's been stuck. Felix wanted a bribe, two years in jail. Now a new governor comes, and so far, no, no reprieve. Verse 8 is what I want to harp on. Then Paul made his defense, I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. So he stands up, he's confident, He's had two years to think about this. I've done nothing wrong. Jews, temple, Caesar, I'm innocent. Verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? Stand trial before me on these charges. And Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court. Festus represents Caesar in this region. In other words, I don't need to go anywhere. Where I ought to be tried. If I've done anything wrong with the Jews, as you yourself know very well, if, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So he's already had no luck with Felix. Now he's got Governor Festus, and he realizes, I need to stand my ground. And so Paul's not a wimp. He's talking before the highest leader in the Roman government in the land, and he says, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. I've been waiting for trial. And because he's a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal all the way to the emperor's court. So if you felt like, if you're a citizen, which few were, side note, 
God uses everything. God uses prison. God uses the fact that he was born a citizen. At this stage, Paul would have been dead. City after city, God protects him. Why? By wisely helping him be born into a family that were citizens. And as a Roman citizen, you had the right to protection from the government, and you had the right to appeal all the way to the high court if you felt like you were getting injustice. So God uses prison to write a letter. God uses prison to speak to Felix. God uses a negative situation even to rescue Paul from impending death. All right, now this line, I appeal to Caesar, sets the course for the rest of Acts. At the beginning of Paul's life in Jesus, God told him, I'm going to set you before kings that are Gentiles. And Paul's had a sense, and heard by the Spirit, we saw in chapters 21, 22, and 23, that God was going to send him all the way to Rome to proclaim the gospel. And now he finds his ticket. By appealing to, to Caesar, he knows they have to bring him with protection all the way to Rome. Again, I'm saying it again, but it's worth it. God uses everything. He often, in our world, uses education or employment to get us to where he wants us to be. So you got transferred. Why? Because you got a better salary package. No, because God wanted you here. He wanted you to be doing this. He wanted you to impact your community. And so God, I want us to see, he's weaving all of this stuff. Now that's the first two cases. We see that God's at work. Paul's still in jail. Now I want us to focus on King Agrippa. Before King Agrippa, we see that starting in verse 13 of chapter 25. A lot of text, but I'm going to make three points about how this applies to our life in a minute. It says, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. So other leaders visiting this newly appointed governor. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discover, uh, discussed Paul's case with the king. And he said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told him it's not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes that I expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive, which must have been very weird. You know, like, they obviously had killed Jesus, and Paul's like, no, 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 he's really alive, you just can't see him. He's in heaven, which sounds delusional, right? So I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. And I can say, Jesus, can you present yourself? I mean, how do you, what do you do? So I asked if you'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on the charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor, Caesar's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then King Agrippa said to Festus, oh, I would like to hear this man myself. And he replied, tomorrow you'll hear him. All right, 26 verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand. I love it. He's like dramatic. He motioned with his hand and he began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today, a.k.a. butter him up. <laughs> you know, like 
How does Paul start? This is so good. You want to have a serious conversation? Compliment. Whenever you have conflict, side note, whenever you have conflict, you talk about something positive, you deal with the real issue, you end with something positive. That's how you don't get punched. Survival. Paul is wise. King Grippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all these accusations of the Jews. And especially because you are so acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. Butter, butter, butter. He butters him up. But more than that, he stands up to him. First thing I want us to see, we saw it with Felix, we saw it with Festus, and now we're going to see it with King Agrippa. The first application for our world is that we would live with courage. Live with courage. Why? You are a person of influence. You have greater influence than you think. They say, no, I don't. Look, if you're a parent just watching the girls get baptized today, Kurt and Karina have great influence over their daughters. Their perception of Jesus comes a lot, not from preachers on a Sunday, but from mom and dad Monday through Saturday. You are a person of influence. You may be a leader on your campus. We say, well, I'm just an athlete or I'm just, you know, whatever major. There are people, younger grades, less experience, less ability, who are looking up to you. Every one of us here, God has given you a sphere of influence. So if you have influence, let me encourage you. Please decide today to live with courage. Paul seizes his opportunity, even though he is a nobody. He is a prisoner. He is a Jew. They are not. He has no control. He has no power. But he realizes, I've been given influence. God brought me before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. And so Paul does not shrink back from telling them clearly and persuasively the good news of Jesus. Now, why do I share this? Because we're living in a similar situation uh, to Paul in his day when it comes to faith. Now, if you're a little bit older, if you're in your 60s, you probably remember a time in America where Christianity was a little more respected, more people went to church, the Bible was seen as something of value, even if it wasn't believed, it was seen as a positive book. And I think we'd all agree with every decade that's fading more in America. And let me tell you, I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Why? What we see in Paul's day is that the good news is good news in any culture at any time. And we don't need it to be the most popular belief. We don't need it to be the most influential belief for it to be the most life-changing belief. So Paul stands up and he's given his moment in court. He's not pleading for his life. He's not asking for better food. By the way, Chick-fil-A is opening up in two weeks. Come on, but you can't get it on Sunday. <laughs> They're closed on Sunday, people. Uh, so where was I? Oh, yeah, you're a person of influence. Some of you, your mouth is watering right now for a little. How many of you have never had Chick-fil-A? Oh, <laughs> you have no idea about the calories you're about to consume. Fried chicken. All right. So, so we're people of influence in a culture that we're not the most influential in. 
So Paul's day, most people did not follow Judaism or the way of Jesus, and yet Paul can stand tall. And in the same way, most Oregonians don't follow Jesus. That's like a stat. I'm not making it up. We all know it. Most are not in church today, and that's totally okay because, you see, God puts you in all sorts of circumstances seven days a week so that you can be salt, light, love, care, concern, good news. You can be the gospel where they're at. Now, it's great if you invite them to a gathering. I hope you do that. It's great if you invite them to your home where your community meets and prays and talks about life and loves one another and eats. That's great. But you already are a person of influence where you're at. The question is, are you going to live with courage? Why is it easier for us, let's just be honest, to talk about and brag about our favorite sports teams? Yet when it comes to saying, what are you doing on the weekend, why are we so intimidated to say, well, on Sunday, our family goes to church? Why is it that we cower at that? Why are we, why are we so timid about Jesus? Do, do the people around you even know that you're one of his followers? This is not a guilt trip. It's just a reality check. God puts you where he puts you for a reason. question is, will you be a person of courage? Paul had an opportunity to speak up or shrink back. Thank God he spoke up. The question is, will we? Now, what is it like to be a courageous community? Let's just keep reading. Verse 4 of chapter 26. It says, now this is Paul speaking about his life. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life, in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. And they know me for a long time, and they can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest, strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why would any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Pause. He knows King's Agrippa, King Agrippa's affiliation with the Jewish faith. And what he's doing is very slick. He's saying, hey, they're saying I'm not one of them. I'm one of them. Strictest sect in Judaism, Pharisees, I am one of them. Hope of the Messiah to come. All the Jews are hoping for God's deliverance. I believe in the hope. Oh, by the way, at the end there'll be the resurrection. That's the promise of the Jewish faith. I believe in the resurrection. I'm with you, King Agrippa. I'm like one of them. I don't know why I'm on trial. But then he shares the other side. I too was convinced. Verse 9, I ought to do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, a.k.a. I was on their side. I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried with force uh, to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities, aka, look, I'm just as much anti-Jesus as anybody else. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests about noon King Agrippa. I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and heard the voice saying to me in Aramaic. Evidently, God speaks Aramaic. 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And then, da, 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 you know, like, it was like the moment of truth. Who you're persecuting? The Lord replied, now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. Verse 17 is key. Put a star by it. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to, quote, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. So far what he's done, you say, King, I'm, I'm like as Jewish as it comes. And I'm so anti-Jesus. Oh, by the way, until he appeared. So I didn't make this up. I didn't, I didn't choose his path. Jesus appeared to me and said, I've got something for you. So at this point, he's got King Agrippa hooked. Verse 19. So then King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven. This wasn't my idea. I'm just doing what I was told. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, then to the Gentiles, I preached they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds, which is the Jewish message. Live for God and live a godlike life. So Isaac, I'm just, I'm one of them. That's why some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small, then some more butter, and great alike. King Agrippa. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets uh, and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, first rise from the dead, would bring a message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now that was long, but I wanted you to catch the drift. What is Paul doing? One, I think we learned from his life that we ought to live with courage. Two, I think we could pick up that we're called to speak with clarity. Absolute precision. Paul knows how to get King Agrippa on his side. He knows how to be respectful. He knows what King Agrippa needs to hear. That he's not rebellious. That he pays his taxes. That he's a normal citizen. He's, he's giving him the info and then he's sharing Jesus in a way that makes sense. The thing is, you have a story and part of it is the gospel. Now I'm not saying that your story is the, the good news of Jesus. But I am saying... That your life story includes the good news of Jesus. So just like Paul can tell the details of his life and how he was an enemy of God and encountered God and how he was an enemy of Jesus and encountered Jesus, so you, in your own way, in your own words, you have a story to share. You may say, oh, well, I grew up hearing about God and I grew up reading the Bible and that's my story. Fantastic. You say, well, I'm, I was in college and someone invited me to something and I heard about Jesus and it made no sense but my heart just felt like it was right. Maybe that's your story. Whatever it is, Paul is faithful to speak with clarity. Now, I want us to notice a couple things. Verse 22. How does he frame it? Verse 22. He says, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. What he's saying is my story is connected with what God is doing. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and then to the Gentiles. So 
So all Paul does and all you and I need to do is to connect God's story with my story. What was God saying? What has God said? What did God do? We have the written account of all that Jesus has said and done. And so our privilege is to help people see that what happened a long time ago is still happening. And here's how it's happening in me. So let me just ask you, if I were to say, all right, before the game, before the preview, just TiVo, DVR, whatever you do, all right, record it. But let's have, uh, have a cup of coffee, and I want you to tell me the good news. Just tell me the good news in your own language. What would you tell me? Paul knew the story of God, he knew the scriptures, and he knew his own experience. And he was able to weave it in a way that was totally natural. Now that doesn't come naturally. I'm here to tell you, that's something you and I can do. We can become better at. We can learn. It's a skill. It doesn't fall from heaven. You can actually think through what is the good news? What has God done in history, time, space, and Jesus? And where did that intersect me? And why does that matter? And how does that connect with other people? It's something that you and I can grow in. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you tell me? Where would you start? How would you end? Would it be convincing? Would it be compelling? Would it make sense? That's something we do now. Why? God opens doors. God opened a door before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. And God has people that he wants to connect you with. And so he's asking his kids, you and me, let's live with courage. Let's not be intimidated by our culture. They may not agree. By the way, Felix didn't accept the gospel. Neither did Festus. Neither does Agrippa. And that's so encouraging. It's totally encouraging. How's that encouraging? Most of the people that you speak with at the surface, at the beginning, will not say yes. I know that. But my friends, it is a numbers game. And I don't use, say the word game in a manipulative way. I'm just saying the more people we tell about Jesus, the more people are going to respond. So a hundred's great, but a thousand's better. And ten thousand's way better. And a million is enticing because the more we tell the story, the more people, the Spirit of God will move on and the more people will respond. But let's put that in reverse. The fewer people we tell, the fewer people will respond. And so it's not as though the pressure is all on us. It's more like the opportunity has been given to us. Will we seize our opportunity? Look at how Paul frames it, verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them. And look at these phrases he uses. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. The power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, that is set apart for God's service, by faith in me. Darkness to light, Satan to God. Forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are being changed. That's how Paul frames it, in absolutes. That is, you can share your story, how you have turned from darkness to light. But we need to understand this. When people don't respond to the good news, they stay in darkness. Darkness to light, Satan to God. That means they're either following the king of the universe, Jesus, or they are subjects of the king of this age, even Satan himself. I say, Jose, that just sounds so ridiculous. It might sound ridiculous to our ears. It just so happens to be true. 
And this is why we ought to live with courage and speak with clarity because in the mask of our wealth as a culture, in the facade of our togetherness, people are crumbling. Some of you here this morning, you look good, but internally you're crumbling. You cannot shake the guilt. I don't care how much you medicate, you drink, you smoke, you hang out, you you entertain yourself to death. At night, it haunts you. And you're looking for freedom. So you go to this psychologist or this psychiatrist or this doctor or this, this, or whatever you go to, and they can give temporary relief. But only Jesus can deal with the deepest part of me. And so only Jesus can release me from my own guilt and shame and set me apart to be a child of God. So what I'm here to remind you is what I need to remind myself is this stuff like really matters. This isn't a guilt trip. You ought to tell 10 people today that they ought to be rescued by Jesus. It is a reminder that those facts are already true. People need to be rescued. Some here need to be rescued. Some people that we love need to be rescued. And here's the good news. God is rescuing people. But he's using us. So we live with courage and we speak with clarity. But there are times that we speak up and we're going to get shut down fast. Look at what happens. We'll finish the story. We're almost done. Uh, Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. So, So the new governor steps in and says, You're out of your mind, Paul! He shouted. So he's evidently annoyed the governor, who, by the way, can kill him. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane. So Paul jumps in. Talk about bold. Most excellent Festus, a.k.a. don't kill me. Paul replied, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. So he sides himself with King Agrippa. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has happened, uh, has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Do you see what he's doing here? He's absolutely convinced in the goodness of Jesus. He's absolutely convinced that this is his moment. He's like, okay, look, you guys have the right to do whatever. You can put me on trial. You can put me away. You can just hide me in a dungeon. I want you to know, King Agrippa, I know. I see it in your eye. You believe the prophets. What does he say? The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those, uh, I'm sorry, let me just jump back. Um, Verse 28. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, I love this, he's so good. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me here today become what I am. Oh, except the chains. (laughs) I love it. He's like, do you think you can convince me this fast? The king's like, who do you think you are? He's like, you need another 20 minutes? You need another day? I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I want you, king, and I want everyone here to be a follower of Jesus and not be chained up. So this, the king rose and with him the governor and Benice and those sitting with them. And they left the room and they began saying to each other, this man's not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The third thing that we see, and this is so important in our day and age, is that Paul responds with conviction and we're called to respond, no matter how people respond to you, when you do finally, when it leaks out that you're a follower of Jesus, at first the king's like, nah, Festus is like, no way. They think he's insane, but he responds back with conviction, like, 
no, like, I want you to experience what I've experienced. I just don't want you to be put in jail. Now, why is this important that we actually speak up? It's because your time and my time is limited. You're on that job for how long? You're in that class for how long? You're in that neighborhood for how long? You work at that job? Like, all of life, my friend, is temporary. Seasons, some are short, some are long. And we don't know what tomorrow brings and we don't know what next year brings. So some of us are waiting. Now's not the right time. Now's not the right time. Now's not the right time. And can I just remind you, you're running out of time. You and I, we're running out of time to make the most of every opportunity. And that later is what Paul the Apostle tells the church. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that no one can accuse you. So what I'm saying is we need to live with a sense of urgency. Not that we're obnoxious, but that we're persuasive. Look what Agrippa said. He said, Are you, think, you think you're going to persuade me in such a sh- short time? Paul's goal was persuasion. And I want to say, in our multicultural, diverse society, this is where the rub of following Jesus is going to really cause a clash with our culture. I'm not saying a violent clash. I'm not saying an evil clash, but it's going to cause... Our culture is continually saying the only thing that is unacceptable is to say that there is one way to God. Hear me, my friend. Our culture is increasingly saying that kind of language is intolerant and will not be tolerated. And I'm here to say I spent plenty of time in Europe It's already happening there. It's creeping here. And I'm not worried one bit. It's going to cause us to rise up. We're going to have to rise up and say with conviction, wait, what we're saying is truthful and reasonable. It's true and reasonable. It actually makes logical sense. It has historical connection. It has verifiable proof. And this is not just a myth. And this is not just a legend. And by the way, this isn't, isn't one of many complex philosophical religious systems, this is the truth of God. And it's been revealed over periods of time and we see it to be trustworthy and worth following and that's going to take courage and it's going to take clarity and it's going to take serious conviction. And so I'm encouraging you at the start of the year, let's up our game, our, our prayer, our persistence, our, our reading of the scriptures because we're going to be held to give an account for what we have. And my friends, this is what people are waiting to hear. So our goal is to persuade. My goal every Sunday is to persuade you that Jesus is who he says he is, and I make no, absolutely no excuse for it. And so if you're here and you're following, your friend invited you and you're wondering if you're gonna check out church, my goal is not to brainwash you, but my goal is to persuade you to the truthfulness of Jesus. And as a follower, your right and privilege is to be persuasive. And so, are, do you want to see people converted? Absolutely, yes. Are you sure? Like, yes. I'm praying that people will go from what Paul said, from darkness to what? Light. From Satan. I didn't say it. Paul said it, and he happens to be true. From Satan to God. From bondage to freedom. And we're kidding ourselves if we believe that this is something that should be just like tame it down, like temper it down, calm down. Life, my friends, life is at stake. People's future here 
and the shrapnel of not following Jesus, their future, their marriage, their, their business is at stake. And so is ours. And so we need to be persuasive. Now, I'm going to give you a litany of persuasive verses that speak exactly to what Paul's talking about. Acts 26, I'm going to throw them up on the screen. Acts 26, 17, I'm sending you them to open their eyes, a.k.a. people are blind, and turn them from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God. That's the truth. It's exactly what Jesus said, John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, a.k.a. if you don't hear his word and don't believe, you will be judged. But is crossed from what? Death to say it with me? Life. So he'll write the, the church in Rome. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He did not say anyone who calls on the name of anyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, will be saved. Well, how then can they call on the one they that believed in? They need to hear it. How can they believe in the one they have not heard? They need to hear it. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? So someone needs to speak up. And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? How beautiful it is for the, uh, are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul gives us the logic. We are a community that is empowered by the Spirit of God to lovingly, humbly, respectfully, relationally share the good news of Jesus. And that is our mission, and it will never change. The question is, will we step into it? That's God's mission for your life. You have been sent so people can hear if we do speak, and it's a beautiful thing when you share good news. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So from now on, in light of Jesus, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't see people as outsiders. No, no. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Do you see this very absolute in a world that has said, forget about absolutes. The only thing that's absolute is that they're absolutely wrong. Those who say there are no absolutes are absolutely wrong. The world was created by a creator, and we are accountable to the creator. And he's given us the way of redemption, and it's his son. He who has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. And it's a wake-up call to us, because guess what? We have this good news inside. But it's not just for us. So I'm, I'm pleading with you. Because you've been sent by God, Romans 10, he's already sent you out. And because he's given you his life and he's given you his words, can we be a people who live with courage, who know what to say, and then actually lovingly stand in and speak up? The last one, Revelation 22, 17. At the end of the story of God, at the beginning is an invitation. God makes man and woman, and it's beautiful and it's good, and God's with them in the cool of the day and spends time and relates with them. Sin fractures everything. The rest of the Bible is about how we're going from death to life, from, from an enemy of God to be a child of God. And in Jesus, that happens. And at the end of the Bible, some of the last words are this. The spirit and the bride say what? Come. And let the one who hears say what? Come. Let the one who's thirsty do what? Come. And let the one who wishes take from the free gift of the water of life. The, the Bible ends with the invitation to come. What does that imply? You're not there yet. 
And so what we're talking about is life and death kind of stuff. Now, it's a bit heavy for a game day. But you know what? This is not a game. This is not a game. And we are here as a community of Jesus followers to lovingly, carefully, sacrificially get this news to everybody. Because God loves people and wants to show them his life. God's rescued us and given us the spirit. And God wants us to help people experience life in him. So what keeps us from living this way? Let me tell you. Let's just talk, talk bluntly. It is fear. We're afraid. We are afraid of what people think about us. And we are afraid that we're going to mess it up. And we're afraid that people might not accept us. We're afraid that it's going to disrupt the balance in our work group. And when they find out that I'm really a, a Jesus follower, we may not have the same, like, just regular, bane, meaningless conversations. If I could be so blunt. The weather comes and goes. Sports comes and goes. Everyone comes and goes. The question is, do these people that we're interfacing, do they have the invitation? Do they know that they're invited? Do they know that they're loved by God? Do they know that Jesus came? And have they been invited to come? I got, a, I got a killer email on the way flying home. I was from Uganda to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to here, and I got an email in between, and I read it, and it blew me away. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. It says, hi, Jose. Nick, and he gives his last name here. Uh, so you know that I left Portland to pursue a degree in Bible and theology at Moody Bible Institute. We ended up meeting a couple years ago at uh, Insomnia, and I didn't know this, but he was in Spokane doing a Moody degree, and he'd come back to see some friends. He says, I've been reflecting on God's goodness a lot recently. And then when I found out my roommate, Heath, is in one of your online classes at Western Seminary, I'm in a class with his roommate, and we're interfacing back and forth. And he's like, hey, this is a Jose guy in Portland. He's like, oh my gosh, I know him. So he ended up reaching out. He says, I figured I might encourage your heart to hear a sermon that I preached this year. And he sent me a link to a message he preached. He says, I just want to thank you for your ministry and affirm that God's using you to grow and bless the church. Thank you again, and catch this, for that crazy day you got on a plane to share a college sermon February 4th, 2007. He says, that night I got saved. Killer. And thank you for being crazy enough to follow God and move to Portland a short time after that. Blessings, Nick. P.S. If you're ever in Spokane and have time, coffee's on me. I'm going to take him up. February 4th, 2007, Nick heard the good news because at a college meeting, I could have just said, hey, man, God loves you and wants to get you a hot date. Man, he's got great stuff for you. What I said is what is true, is that without Jesus, you have no life. But in Jesus, there's the fullness of life. Follow Jesus. And Nick, who'd been a churchgoer for a while, said, I need Jesus. And here he is, nine years later, sending me a sermon link. This makes no sense. But it actually makes all the sense in the world. You see, God has people waiting to be rescued and he's calling us to step in. Are we going to be the people that live with courage? Are we going to be the people who have firm convictions and stand up? Are we going to be the people who in the face of real fear say, Holy Spirit, I am scared. Acts 1.8. Jesus promised you, when you receive the Spirit, you'll have power to witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My friend, there's not a place that the Spirit won't empower you. There's not a person that the Spirit can't give you the very words to speak to. 
question is, are we open to the Spirit using us? I hope you are. My friend, pray for an opportunity this week. What do you do? Pray. God, open the door this week and then step into it. Commit now. When God gives you that door, you are not going to be silent. You're going to rise up as a confident Jesus follower and say, you know what? I'm a wreck, but Jesus, he's been amazing to me. Simple as that. What about you? Have you ever thought about what Jesus has done for you? Can you get laughed at? Paul was. Three strikes and he's out. Not one of them was converted. But Jesus loves it when his kids speak about him. Who cares if they receive it or not? Your obedience matters. Invite someone to coffee this week. Invite someone to your house this week. Invite someone to church next week. Be baptized now. Baptism is going to be open. And maybe you saw those girls and said, you know what? Nine and 11, they're not afraid to stand up for Jesus. Why am I afraid? This is your opportunity. Step into it, I pray. Why don't you stand on your feet and we're going to invite the Lord Jesus to do something special.